0: book of Revelation is probably the most exciting and at the same time the most misunderstood book in all of scripture. The Come Follow Me study for 2023 is all about the New Testament and the book of Revelation sums up the whole New Testament. In this eighth podcast in our series, we discuss how the Savior appeared to John in the cave on the Isle of Patmos and why the Lord's clothing was so important. I'm Sam Bracken, your host, and our teacher is Dr. Breck England. He's about to publish his research in a new book, The Bright and Morning Star, finding and following Christ in the book of Revelation. Breck, in the first chapter of Revelation, Jesus Christ himself appears to John in the cave. This is the resurrected Savior. John described him in detail. What did he look
1: like? In Revelation chapter 1, 13 through 15, John says, quote, he was clothed with a garment down to the foot girt about the paps, uh, that would be around the middle of his, of his body, with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Okay. The Lord's brilliant white robes are important. They symbolize his royal status. Pure white clothing indicated high status in John's world. White was not a natural color for clothes. Right. Um, It was expensive and hard to maintain. Uh, White symbolized stainlessness, and they could get clothes white by dyeing them white, okay? Wow. They had to dye them white. I remember that the Romans wore a, a, a very beautiful robe called a toga, okay? Mm-hmm. And even the Roman toga was off-white mm-hmm. unless they dyed it. So everyday toga would have been an off-white color. Mm-hmm. Um, and since only high-class people, they were called patricians, only the higher class of people with a, quote, purified status could run for public office, high-ranking Romans had to bleach their togas to be, a, to, to be high-ranking officials. Wow. Okay.
0: So, bleach toga, never knew. <laughs> never knew. So the white clothes on the Savior had an important symbolic meaning for the people of John's time. It symbolized purity, but also royal status. To be in the government, you had
1: to wear pure white clothes. Right. In the Roman Empire, you couldn't even be a candidate for public office if you didn't have a pure white toga. Uh, that's where our word candidate comes from. Oh, wow. The Latin word candidus meant dazzling white or shining. (laughs) Um, Not like political candidates today, okay? Um, They had to wear this dazzling white candida or uh, white toga, which was the symbol of their candidacy, okay? Their worthiness for public office, Mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly enough, to be a priest in the temple at Jerusalem... You also had to wear white clothing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And men who were joining the priesthood were called candidates wow. because of their white clothes. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Okay. So that's where our word comes from.
0: So that's why we always see paintings of the resurrected Jesus in all white.
1: Yes, the Jews believe that God wears a wondrous white garment described as, quote, a long shirt-like robe, unquote, it was a symbol of judgment because in those days, judges wore long, floor-length robes. Mm-hmm. You know, they wear robes today. Right, they do. And that they always have. In, 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 ancient, in the ancient world, they wore long uh, robes that reached to the floor. That mm-hmm. was a symbol of being a judge. Uh, the emperors also wore um, white robes, um, inlaid with gold. Okay, Julius Caesar had a toga that was... Um, uh, had golden stripes in it. Ooh. And the emperor Nero, uh, he he wore white robes woven with gold. Oh, wow. And um, a victorious Roman general wore a robe uh, called a toga picta, which was embroidered with gold and belted with a golden sash. Wow. Okay. Oh, okay. So, all right. So Jesus appears in his white robe belted with a golden sash. That would have been meaningful, right, to the... Uh, to the people of his time. Yes. So he, he, he appeared as a triumphant general, a victorious ah. and royal individual. They would have seen that. Right. To us, we say, oh, well, that's a nice outfit. But to the to the Romans and the Greeks of the time, they would have said, oh, he looks like a great judge, a great emperor. Yeah, a, great ruler. King, a ruler. Yeah, okay. a ruler. Yeah. So it was appropriate that the Savior should appear, clothed in these royal tokens, a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, These things would have been very meaningful to the people of John's time. Now, for us, Latter-day Saints, um, we associate white clothing with the temple and the priesthood. Right. Uh, We wear white Mm -hmm. to imitate the Savior. That's why we wear
0: white. Wow, I always thought that we wanted to make everyone feel the
1: same. Well, that's... It's polyvalent. Yeah, it right. is. Okay. Exactly. Boom. Right. Yeah, um, right. Uh, when we wear white, we imitate the Savior. Right. Because of the white clothing he wore. In his white clothing, we see his purity. And in his long robe, we see the great judge. Mm-hmm. In his golden sash, we see his status as a king. Wow. See, it was all meaningful. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. So that's why we wear white in the temple, to
0: imitate the Savior.
1: Yeah. And it's also to symbolize our own future. What do you mean by that? When John sees the Savior clothed like this, he also sees his own future as a god and a king and a priest. We visualize the glorious resurrected Lord. We also see our own future as gods and kings and goddesses and queens. Because if we are faithful... We become like him. Right. Now, John himself says this. He says, this is where we get this uh, idea. John says that when he appears again, we will see him as he is because we will be like him. Okay. Uh, In Greek, as he is. We will be as he is. Wow. Now, this idea that we can become like Christ is a very old idea in the early Christian church. They, they believed that the followers of Christ would become divine through a process called theosis, uh, which in Greek means to become a god. Okay, Most Christians today uh, reject that whole idea. Wow. Uh, but the early Christians believed it, and so did the Jews. Uh, here's a quotation from a scholar on the subject... This Margaret, Margaret Barker, a great scholar on the subject. Quote, theosis is a notable and even essential feature of early rabbinic, that's Jewish thought, and Talmudic tradition, that is also Jewish thought, evidenced by rabbinic teachings of the first five centuries of the Common Era. In other words, in the first 500 years A.D., the Jews were also teaching that man could become a god. Wow. Not just the Christians. So when we put on the white clothing in the temple, it symbolizes that we are candidates, okay? Mm -hmm. Candidates for what? Godhood. Right. Now John knows that his own heavenly destiny is to be a god and a king and a priest. But even with that knowledge, he can't stand up in the presence of the Lord, right? He falls on his face.
0: John says we'll become kings and queens, priests and priestesses. I understand what it means to be a king, but what purpose does it serve for us to be made priests and priestesses?
1: Well, the purposes of priests and priestesses, Joseph Smith said this. He said, Priests and priestesses are, quote, to administer salvation through the ordinances of the house of God, close quote. They're temple workers. Okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Joseph Smith said that qualified women and men can become, and this is a quote, legitimately and by right, through the atonement and adoption, priests to administer in the holy ordinances pertaining to the endowments and exaltations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what it means to be a priest and a priestess. Now in Jerusalem, the priests. Um, who are all descendants of Aaron, the the first high priest of Israel, uh, administered the sacrifices required by the law of Moses. These were tokens of the atonement of Christ, these sacrifices. And they wore white temple clothes made of linen. Under the law of Moses, the only way for an Israelite to receive forgiveness of sins was to go to the temple and give a sacrificial offering to the priests. That was the only way to get forgiven of your sins. And then the priests would perform the sacrifice, which would cleanse you of your sins.
0: Yeah, so we hear a lot about priests and male rulers. What about priestesses? Like,
1: help me understand that. In ancient times, um, although women were, were not priests, they had important roles in the tzava, that's a Hebrew word, the tzava meant temple worship. They had important roles in temple worship. Both the men and the women who ministered at the temple were called tzavaot in Hebrew, which would meant servants, right? Mm-hmm. It meant carriers out of the temple services. Okay. 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 Tzavaot. And that became a word tzavaoth in our scriptures uh, and translates as, quote, the heavenly host. Okay. Okay. So when they say that the Christ is the Lord of Sabaoth or the Lord of hosts, one meaning is that he is the Lord of the temple mm-hmm. and the workers. So when you hear the Lord of hosts, it's the Lord of the host of salvation workers, mm-hmm. temple workers.
0: Both okay. men and women. Yes.
1: Right? Now, in ancient times, the female Sabaoth prepared offerings. Uh, they conducted the singing. They gave prophecies and blessings and prepared the clothing for priestly services. Uh, young unmarried women, who were descendants of King David, according to tradition, had a special role to play. They wove the veil of the temple. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and, and in the apocryphal gospel of James, one of those apocryphal books we talked mm-hmm. about, Mary, the mother of Christ, was working on the veil of the temple when the angel announced to her that she would bear the Savior. Wow. That would make a lot of sense. Now, when you think that the veil represents the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. she's working on the veil when she becomes pregnant. Oh, wow. (laughs) Did you see how? That is very, very cool symbolism. Yes, very cool. And very, um, very much supported by the traditions of the Jews and the early Christians. Now, as priests and priestesses, we save other people, right? We save others, our brothers and sisters, by ministering to them in the temple. In our temples, women and men work side by side, don't they? Yeah, they do. And they are essentially priests and priestesses performing priesthood ordinances. Now, does that help you understand why priests and
0: priestesses? Yeah, it does. Sort of equally yoked, it sounds like.
1: Yes, and their task is to do the work of Christ, which is saving the souls of men and women. Right.
0: What ordinances did they perform in ancient temples?
1: Uh, well, the daily incense offerings, mm-hmm. sacrifices of animals. That kept the temple pretty busy. But the most important ordinance of all was on was performed by the high priest once a year, on the day of atonement. On that day, it was always in, in autumn. All the families of Israel were supposed to come to the temple. It was like fall general conference. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they all came to the mm-hmm. temple. The high priest would take the blood of the sacrifice, and he would go into the Holy of Holies in the temple. And it was the only time anyone ever went into that room. Mm-hmm. Once a year. right? He would then sprinkle the blood on the foundation stone of the temple, where it was believed that Abraham sacrificed a ram Instead of his his son, in place of his son Isaac. Now the high priest would sprinkle the blood seven times, right? Yep. Remembering that the number seven signifies completeness, completeness. so the blood would complete the atonement for all Israel's sins. Okay. Then the high priest would leave the temple, and he would appear to all the people who would give a great shout of joy and gratitude because they they were clean again. Wow. For them, it was like starting a new life. Now what's interesting here is that the high priest wore special clothing on that day that he didn't wear any other time. Mm-hmm. And it was a unique robe called the podere. It was not the fancy golden robe that he wore every other day mm-hmm. of the year. It was a holy linen coat. A simple, long, white robe, which was, of course, all sprinkled with blood after he performed the ordinance. Right, right. Right. Now, this was the special robe, the podere, that the risen Christ was wearing when he stood by the seven candlesticks in John's vision. What we are seeing then is Christ as the high priest. He's the high priest Mm. of the temple. Standing next to the menorah, which was positioned just outside the veil of the Holy of Holies. Now, in this symbolic position, Christ appears as the great atoner, the one who atones for all the sins of all the people.
0: Wow, that is so, that makes so much sense.
1: The high priest would put that robe on only on the Day of Atonement. It symbolized the purity, and humility, of the Savior, minus the majestic, elaborate high priestly costume he wore every other day of the year. So that puts
0: a whole new meaning for me when I understand the celebration of Yom Kippur.
1: Yes, really, Mm -hmm. means a whole new meaning to me. Yeah, it's very meaningful to the Jews, and very uh,
0: symbolic of the Savior. Yeah,
1: and like everything in the Law of Moses, it points every whit. To the great atonement, the infinite and eternal atonement, right? Yeah, that's really powerful.
0: So the Savior's clothing, when he appears to John in the cave, is totally symbolic. It's a certain robe that people in those days would have recognized. Yes, yes.
1: In this long robe, this long white priestly robe with his golden sash signifying his kingship. Christ comes to John, uh, dressed as the great high priest who atoned for the sins of the world once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, on the day of atonement. Right. Significantly, though, he's also dressed for a wedding. Huh. Mm-hmm. That's the golden sash. Yes. From this point on, John almost always refers to Christ as, quote, the bridegroom. to see how important that is. We'll talk about why the title of bridegroom is so important in the next podcast next week. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for your time
0: everyone. Thanks, Breck. Have a great day.